Well, hello, church, and welcome, neighbors. It's Pastor Michael here, and I'm thankful to get to spend a few minutes with you today uh, looking together at God's Word. And I don't even really know where to begin on a week like we've just been through together, um, where it doesn't matter what you're looking at for your news and your information. There are um, just atrocities that are all across our country that are, are, are heartbreaking to see and to be aware of. And it got to the place this week where I had to unplug and say, I, I need to take a step back and I need some space from this in order to be able to focus on the, the people and the loved ones that God's entrusted to me right now. Um, and I'm thankful for that space. I hope that you and pray that you have been able to find that space too, to process what's going on um, and to love well the people who are around you. Um, we've been in a series, or we started a series last time called Break the Cycle. And we started where the cycle starts, actually with security, where things are kind of going well and everything's going well. Um, and so that wellness and sense of security often will lead us to complacency and to sin. And, and, and if we want to break the cycle of sin, then it may be helpful for us to understand exactly what that cycle looks like. So we're going to take a, a closer look this morning. We're going to take a closer look. So we're going to take a closer look today about uh, what this sin cycle actually is, how it is that we interact with it. And, and make some motions, uh, take a few steps in order to be able to talk about how the cycle gets broken and who it is that we turn to for that. So um, I'm glad to be able to spend this time with you as we do so. Um, let's just pause this morning and pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're talking about breaking the cycle this morning, and so I'd like to just give you a quick overview, a quick reminder of what the sin cycle is. Again, it begins with security, where God has brought us to a place uh, of peace, and it seems like everything's kind of going fine, and I don't need to pay too much attention to myself because everything's okay. And security leads to sin. We become complacent and begin to serve ourselves instead of serving God. Um, and sin actually leads us into slavery, which is what we're going to focus on today. Uh, a strong term, but I think is necessary for us to understand exactly what it is that's going on in, um, in the spiritual realm and in our hearts. Um, and slavery often will lead us to supplication. Supplication is just a fancy word for saying, I need help. And uh, maybe you're there already this morning. Um, and I'm excited to get to talk more about that. And supplication uh, leads to salvation. Salvation leads to security. Security, sin, slavery, supplication, and salvation. And 
we've seen that only Jesus rewires our defaults, and our defaults are to ignore God. And it's not even our richest earthly, earthly blessings that we might get from God that can do that, even though we might think that if we had it all together, if we had everything we ever wanted from God, that we would definitely serve God the way that he expects us to or the way that he deserves. Um, but only Jesus is the one who rewires our defaults and our default settings are to ignore God and disregard what he says. So in this sin cycle, it's not just a two-dimensional cycle. It, it, it's easy to draw it in a circle. And, and when we look at it in a circle, that can kind of give us an idea that, oh, well, this just kind of spins around and around and around indefinitely. Um, but the cycle that we see, particularly in the book of Judges, where we've been studying, isn't just a circle, it's a spiral. Things start out kind of okay, and um, we actually, at the time where we're going to pick up in chapter 6, we've, we've already been through three revolutions of the cycle. And every revolution of the cycle has been kind of okay. We're kind of staying level. We've had judges like Othniel. And after Othniel was judge and delivered the people, um, they had peace in the land for 40 years. And then after that, they sinned again and, and turned away. And after Othniel was Ehud, and after Ehud delivered the people, there were 80 years of peace. And so everything's just kind of staying on, on, on par. And then um, after, after Ehud is Deborah. And Deborah has a really interesting story. Um, and the way that God used her and some other women is just an absolutely fascinating uh, thing to look at. And so I'd encourage you to read those stories. But after Deborah judges, we, we, we see there's 40 years of, of peace in the land. And so things are kind of okay. We're kind of spinning in this circle where, where people, um, where God delivers people and then they choose to turn away from him again. God delivers people and he, they choose to turn away from him again. Um, but now the cycle begins to become a spiral where as we go through, things are just getting worse. These first three judges, we don't have a ton of information about the first two. We have more about Deborah. Um, but things are, are kind of okay. Things go back to, to a baseline where it seems like the people could really easily recover. Um, but as we go forward, every judge, every subsequent judge is going to be more and more corrupt. Even though they do the work that God has, has set up for them, um, they're also going to open the door for sin to become even worse. So the cycle is now becoming a spiral that's spinning down. And that brings us to our text this morning. We're going to be in Judges chapter 6. And so if you'd like to navigate with me there to Judges chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste to the land as they came in. 
And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. As we look at this cycle, we see here probably the most extensive explanation of what it, what it means when Israel turns his back on God and God allows Israel to be um, overtaken. This is the most, the longest description of what that actually is like, how, how their sin actually leads to slavery and what did that slavery look like. And it all starts with, in, in verse 1, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And if you haven't watched the previous message, let me just summarize for you. Um, what was the evil that they did? Well, it was actually summarized in Judges chapters 1 through 3. Um, and it was their complacency. They got to a place where God had given them everything they wanted. They became complacent and said, you know what? I got here by myself. I got myself here and uh, I deserve this retirement. So we're just going to kick back and do our own thing. We're going to forget about the God who has walked with us all this way. They became complacent and they began to worship the gods of the land. They didn't, in, in their complacency, they didn't, uh, eradicate all of the false religion and the deadly and the wicked false religion that was in the land. And so they began to worship those gods and ultimately began to intermarry with the people there, which really solidified uh, their their worship. Their, their, their attention became divided. The, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian. So Midian is a, is, a tri, is a people that are separate from Israel. They come from the east with the Amalekites and other eastern peoples. And they appear to be some variety of nomadic people. They didn't necessarily settle down and build buildings. They stayed living in tents, which was good for them. They could move when things got bad. If there was a famine, they just kind of packed up and left. Um, but it wasn't good for the people who had buildings and who had livestock and who had crops that were planted when these nomadic people would come in and kind of take over. And they, they overwhelmed the people of Israel. Uh, they, the, the people would plant, tent, would plant their crops and they would build all their buildings or whatever. The, the Midianites would come through for seven years. Every seven years, whenever they were getting ready to get to harvest, the Midianites would come through and just take everything. The, 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 the text described them as locusts. And locusts will not just eat the leaves off the tree. They'll also eat the, 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 the stems and the branches. They'll absolutely decimate everything. And that's the picture that the text uses to describe the Midianites. It got so bad that, that the people of Israel began to live in caves, like they would set up fortresses and, and, and try to protect themselves as much as they could. Um, but it wasn't, that's not the easiest way to live. It's, it's difficult to live in a cave. You can't really grow anything when you're in a cave. Caves are smelly and diseases spread quickly when you've got not only all the people that you are close to in your cave, but also all the animals that you're trying to protect from the invading armies that are coming through. Um, so it's, it's a really, really bad situation. And so they enter into, um, after three cycles now, they enter into seven years of slavery to the Midianites. So that's really, really clear. Many of us, many of us would look at that and go, okay, I get that. That's slavery. That makes sense. Every time you try to plant a crop, every time you go to get your paycheck, somebody comes in and grabs it from you. 
Every time you go to pick a tomato, you look and something else has already eaten the tomato that you've been working hard to grow. That is a real clear picture. And it's not just one season. It's not just one year of not having what you need. It is compounding years. Because if you have no food, and then the next year you get close to having to being able to grow enough to live, but somebody comes in and takes it. Now you have no food for two years and you have even less to be able to go forward. And this is going on for seven years. The people were under great distress. The text says that, the, and Israel was brought very low because of the people of Midian. And so that's clear. That sounds like slavery. That sounds like every time you try to get a leg up, somebody just pushes you back down and sticks their face, your, sticks their foot in your face. Um, that's clear. Uh, but my fridge is full. My, my, my pantry is stocked. I've got gas in the car right now. Um, I'm not really concerned that we're going to run out of toilet paper today. Um, I've got what I need. I'm taken care of. Um, I can see that these people were in slavery, but I'm not in slavery. So if you would allow me, I'm going to jump out of Judges and we're going to jump hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later and talk about and look at a conversation that Jesus had with some people, because I think it'll give us some insight to help us see ourselves in this text. If, you, if you'll just hang with me real quick, I'd like to do this. So I'm going to be in Judges. If you just hang with me real quick, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be in John chapter 8 in verse 31. Navigate with me there if you would, just to look at it. John 8 and verse 31, Jesus is having a conversation with some Jewish people after he had had a, a, a back and forth with some Pharisees, some teachers. In verse 31, John 8 so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So here in John 8, Jesus is explaining uh, to some people of Israel who apparently either have a, a short memory, have forgotten um, all of Judges, um, but they, they say, we've, we've never been enslaved to anybody. We've never experienced slavery. And many of us, I think, would look at ourselves and say that that's true. Some of us wouldn't, but, but many of us would say, like, I've never, I've never experienced slavery. And Jesus looks at these people who, who come to him and say, there's nothing wrong, like, I don't, I'm not a slave. What do you mean I'm a slave? That's such a strong word, Jesus. Why would you say that? And he says, anybody who practices sin is a slave to sin. And he says, the slave won't remain in the house forever, but the son does. And if the son remains in the house forever, and the son is the one who sets you free, then you are truly going to be free. 
And this brings us to our big idea. Jesus delivers us from slavery to our sin, even when we cannot see clearly. Jesus delivers us from slavery to our sin, even when we cannot see clearly. He's saying to these people who who say, I've never been a slave. He says, you are a slave and you don't even know. You you might feel the weight of the chains, but you you don't understand that that is not the burden that you were supposed to be bearing. He looks at these folks and says, in compassion, you don't even know how enslaved you are. So we need an outside perspective. Like we can't see it for ourselves. We need an outside perspective to show us that that we are in slavery and we need Jesus to deliver us from that slavery. He says, I'm the only one that can do it. My word is truth. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So it leads me to ask this question. Do we take seriously the things that God says we might become slaves to? Do we take seriously the things that God says we might become slaves to? Oftentimes I think we get just kind of comfortable with like, nobody's perfect and we don't even need to try. Um, like, like I'm not nearly as bad as those people that I'm seeing on the news. Um, so, so, so yeah, it's, it's okay. But, but the question is, do we take seriously the things that God says we can become enslaved to? Because it, it, it may be that we're enslaved and don't realize it. Remember, sin is any attitude or behavior in conflict with the character of our creator. That's, that's what sin is, any attitude or behavior in conflict with the character of our creator. And, and we can look at things that are in conflict with the character of our creator and, and, and go, maybe that's not so bad. We, do, we don't take it seriously. We might, we might um, excuse it rather than seeking forgiveness for it, which is what Jesus says he came to do. What are, what are practices? That's what Jesus says in, in John 8. We're, what, whoever practices sin is a slave to it. What are practices that we might find ourselves in? Um, it, it could be, and some of these are really obvious, and some of them are more difficult to see. It could be a, a substance addiction, whether, whether an addiction to what we think of as drugs or, or alcohol or whatever those things may be, or an addiction to food and, and, and eating excessively. Um, it could be a sexual perversion that God has laid out as outside of his standard. It could be just rage and anger, or it could be rage and anger that have just seeded themselves in us so much that it has become a root of bitterness that we hold. Um, it could be laziness. We could be just sitting back and not participating in the things that God has called us to. It could be envious of other people and, and, and desirous of the, the things that they have or, and greedy for ourselves to have more. It could be pride where the fall started and you might be uncomfortable with some of the things that I've said. You might identify with some of those sins. They might be practices that you have in your life. You say, Michael, what, what right do you have to call me out on those kind of things? And, and, and hear my heart on this. I'm not trying to call you out on my own whatever. Like I, I only say that these things are sins because Jesus is the one who says they're sins. And Jesus is comfortable, I think, 
calling out sins in our heart because he is the one who's paid the price for them if we choose to trust him. So we trust him to identify the things that need to be fixed and we trust him to do the fixing because Jesus delivers us from slavery to our sins even when we cannot see clearly. What about judges though? Let's read about what happened. Look with me in verse seven, Judges chapter six, verse seven. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on the account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So I'll pause there. The people are brought low after the seven years of slavery to Midian. They're, they're, they're at their wit's end and they cry out finally to Yahweh, the God who's brought them this far. And, and they say, would you help us? And, and God answers their prayer by sending a prophet. Great, there's somebody here to tell us what God says. And, and just put yourself in this guy's shoes. This is a guy who, who gets to walk in to complete and utter poverty and desolation and say, you know what, guys? Remember the angel of the Lord told you that you should follow God? Like, you didn't listen. You didn't listen when God spoke. That's his whole job, and and I think maybe maybe his identity isn't maybe his identity is concealed here to protect him, um, but he is the the sermon that he was preaching was y'all didn't listen y'all didn't listen and and really that is not helpful is it it's not it's not helpful to know what you didn't do because you may already know that you are sinful you may already know that you ignored God, um, but but he. <laughs> He, uh, he preaches half a sermon. He doesn't even finish this. He doesn't even finish it. He, he winds things up like God, God, deliver, God says that he delivered you and he, he rescued you and he brought you and he blessed you. And, and he said that you're not supposed to listen to other gods and you didn't listen to Yahweh. You listened to the other ones. I had a, a professor. This is a really strong statement. Um, but I had a professor that taught me that a sermon without an application, so a sermon without an application, a sermon without something to do, without a call to action, a sermon without application is an abortion. A sermon isn't completed unless you have come to an application. And this prophet comes and preaches half a sermon and doesn't tell the people what they ought to do. But that's all the message that God gives to people. God, we're crying out to you. And you send us this guy who's telling us that we didn't listen? Like, what do we do? How do we fix this? We want to get better. What happens next? So how do we respond when God appears to be silent? That God isn't silent. He's, he's saying, hey, y'all didn't listen. But we want more from him. How do we respond when God appears to be silent? 
we might be tempted to just move on quickly. Like, I'll just, if God's not going to pay attention to me, I'm just going to go on and, and I'm going to keep trying to do my thing. I'll just press on, keep my nose to the grindstone. Like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'll figure it out. We get more and more distracted and we allow things to build up in our lives. And just, you know what? If God's going to ignore me, then I'm going to ignore him. I don't need him in my life. How do we respond when God appears silent? We might, we might stop and, and, and completely stop everything and just panic. Like, God, you're not here. You're not here. You're not here. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And become unuseful. Ignore all the people around us and the things that we have responsibilities to do. And, and, and we're, we're not doing anything. We're just sulking. God won't talk to me. But I think the pattern that we see in Scripture, and we're going to talk about this more next week. I'll give you this much, but we're going to talk about this more in the next time. Um, the pattern that we see in Scripture is just to pause, to examine my heart. God, what's going on here personally? And, and what do I need to confess? What do I need to agree with you is wrong in me? And we're going to dive deeper in that and what that looks like next next time um, as we look at the next phase of the cycle, we're going to dig, dig into the supplication. Um, but, but, but we see and we have seen that, that Jesus delivers us from slavery to our sin even when we cannot see clearly. Now just to, to wrap this up for us, um, if you're astute, if you're, if you're smart, you're, you're sitting there and you're going, well, Michael, I see what you did there. You, you, you read the text in Judges, but you took your big idea out of the book of John. Like those two texts are hundreds of years apart. Like how, how can you justify picking up and developing a big idea out of John when we're talking about Judges? So and, and to close, I'd just like to read to you these two verses and make a couple brief statements. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So in the midst of, of the seven years of suffering, in the midst of God sending this nameless, faceless prophet with half a sermon, God also sends his angel. God also sends his messenger um, whom, to this guy named Gideon, who is in a wine press, like hiding, trying to crush wheat which is something that needs to be done up on a hillside. He's down in a valley trying to do something that's up in the hillside in order to hide himself from the Midianites. And, and God begins this conversation with this guy who's super hesitant. If you haven't read the story of Gideon, it's, it's really interesting. And you'll identify with a lot of it. Of, of like, God, how do I actually know? How do I know I can trust you? I'm not sure that I do trust you. Um, and so God's going to use this guy who's super hesitant, kind of timid and all that kind of stuff to deliver the people from, from Midian. But because this isn't just a cycle, now we're spiraling down. He's also going to open the door for violence between brothers. Up, in, up until now, Israel's kind of been, every, all the tribes have been at peace with one another. The different brothers have all gotten along. But through Gideon and, and some of his moral failings, now, now Israelites are going to be fighting other Israelites. 
things are things are getting worse. But I said before that the angel of the Lord in Judges appears to be a pre-incarnate vision of Jesus. So this is Jesus before he was given a body at, at, at Chris, what we celebrate at Christmas time, before the incarnation, before he was given a body. This is Jesus, the person of God, showing up and saying to Gideon, almost sarcastically, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor, while you're hiding in your hole. So even when we cannot see clearly, Jesus is delivering us from our sin. So would you trust him today?